Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Yesterday, I spoke with three women who represent Michigan in the U.S. House. We heard from Representatives Rashida Tlaib, Haley Stevens, and Brenda Lawrence about the federal response to the coronavirus pandemic, about racial disparities, and what might be coming next. Now we want to talk with another member of Congress from Southeast Michigan, Representative Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th District in suburban Detroit. Alyssa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yes, and we should note that the Congresswoman is joining us today via Skype. Uh, So let's start with what is in the news right now uh, about federal response to the coronavirus pandemic. Many stories this morning talking about this push and pull between Republicans and Democrats over what the shape of a further stimulus bill might be. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, says that there there might not be more stimulus unless there is protection for employers from liability uh, that they might incur from employees who go back to work and might get sick. Uh, I, I wanted you to address that that divide between Republicans and Democrats and give us an idea of what you guys are talking about in the House and in the House Democratic Caucus about how to unlodge that, uh, that barrier. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, what we've been pushing for on the House side for a while now has been tackling this issue of lost revenues from states and cities. Um, And we all know that um, paying for, you know, additional things related to coronavirus is costing our states and our cities a lot of money. They're buying gear. They're buying all this stuff to help deal with the public health crisis. But what's missing is a recognition of the absolute significant loss of revenue. And that's from taxes. That's from not taking in rent from things like stadiums. It's not taking in, you know, user fees for soccer fields. So our, you know, cities and and towns and our state is looking down the barrel of significant layoffs, significantly cutting back services. And, you know, in Michigan, we know what it looks like when when a city goes bankrupt. And um, the Senate has been really resistant to having that conversation about covering some of the lost revenues so that our states and our cities can operate. And that's been our focus for this bill. Hmm. So this idea of shielding businesses from lawsuits if people get sick, is that yeah. a good idea from your from your vantage point? I've definitely heard businesses talking about it. So I don't it, this isn't you know coming out of thin air. Um, businesses are wondering if they reopen and they do everything in their power to try and prevent the spread of coronavirus, but somehow people still get it, you know, at work, what's their liability? I just, um, the idea that this would hold up another bill to me reflects a real focus on the folks at the top instead of the folks, kind of the working people at the bottom who are just trying to figure out how they're going to get by. But it's a basis for negotiation. I'm willing to have that conversation. Um, we just got to get to it. He's got to come to the negotiating table and not just do this over, you know, through the press. Mm. So, so we also saw the president say a couple of things over the last 24 hours about help for states, states like Michigan, that, of course, are, are hammered by this, uh, this pandemic as much as businesses are. Yep. He says uh, we might be willing to help from from Washington, but we need something in return, which I thought was a strange phrase. I, didn't, I, I wasn't <laughs> quite sure what he was talking about. But there does seem to be increasingly this sense that states may not 
be getting the, the help that they need uh, because the federal government somehow sees this as a state responsibility. And of course, there is an ideological dimension to this as well. A lot of the states that are in most need right now, at least, uh, are led are led by Democrats. But I want to get you to react to what the president was saying. Well, I, I can't possibly um, tell you what he was thinking when he wrote when he wrote that. Um, I would never try and guess what the president is particularly thinking about. Um, obviously, any kind of um, conditioning of assistance on political support of any kind is a real problem and and is completely um, inappropriate. So I hope that's not what he meant. Um, I, I do think that the conversation we've been having with um, uh, some of the Republican members in the House is that they are worried about um, cities and states asking the federal government to cover longstanding debts, insolvent pension programs, things that have um, very little to do with the coronavirus. Um, and I think, again, this is all the basis for negotiation. We can have that conversation on how money for the states and the cities should be scoped. Um, and it should be scoped fairly and properly. But um, to sort of back away slowly and say that they're they're not willing to sit down and negotiate with us until we agree to certain things, it just is not uh, negotiating in good faith. So they just, just come to the table and let's have that conversation. Hmm. Uh, I, I also wonder if you can talk a little more about the money side of things here. Three trillion dollars that we've already borrowed or planned to borrow as a way of dealing with the, the pandemic. That's a lot of money. Uh, and if you think about how we might spend that kind of money on other things that uh, that we desperately need to, to, to do in this country, infrastructure, for instance, mm -hmm. I would think if we were to be able to spend that kind of money repairing uh, the things that, that keep the country literally running, uh, it, this would be a different place. I, I, I want to get you to, to sort of address that, that, that borrowing and what it's for. And again, this idea of priorities in this country and the way that we, that we spend money. I don't think anyone would suggest that we not do what we need to do to deal with this unexpected uh, pandemic, but at the same time, $3 trillion, that's money that our children and our grandchildren will be paying back for a very long time. Yeah, and we we already had a significant deficit before we went into Corona. Um, we had we had passed a tax bill um, that had significantly enhanced our deficit even before we went into this latest pandemic. Um, listen, I really think about it um, in two ways. One, we've passed now four emergency spending bills related to the coronavirus. Um, and as you said, over $3 trillion, a significant amount of money, but they are just bridges for small businesses, for po folks who find themselves unemployed. Um, they are just what I call survival bills. We have a different conversation that's coming about stimulus, about how we sort of bring our economy out of this induced coma. Um, and I act very much think that infrastructure is on the table, by the way. I mean, Michiganders all want to fix the damn roads. I actually think we have an opportunity here. And I've told all of the mayors in my district, start coming up with a list of prioritized shovel-ready projects. Um, and um, so I, I think that there's still more to come. And even the head of the Fed 
um, who I think we could all call a social uh, fiscal conservative, has said we're going to have to spend our way out of this, that we he is encouraging spending um, because it gets people back to work. Um, But there's no doubt that we are going to be paying for this and our kids are going to be paying for this for quite a long time. And we have to start acknowledging what that means. Um, That means that we're going to have a totally different federal budget than we were planning on. I mean, I'm on the defense um, committee, right? I oversee the military. There's no way we're going to see the same military budget after coronavirus that we were planning on before. And that's appropriate. It's going to be some major belt tightening. I do think, to your point, though, that there's opportunity sometimes in real um, crisis moments like this. And I think one of the things I'm really focused on is we clearly need to see uh, broadband Internet as a public utility. There are school districts in my district that are not teaching their children right now because we don't have enough kids who are on broadband. Hmm. Um, And that's 20 miles away from some of the most wealthy suburbs in the state who are doing amazing distance learning. I think when we go to do stimulus, one of the things that I consider a shovel-ready must-do project is broadband internet as a public utility, just like electricity or water. Hmm. So, so that's an interesting point you raise about rural communities in your district that are really close to suburban communities yep. that are that are uh, denser and and wealthier. It, it also kind of reminds me of some connections between. Uh, rural America and urban America. Here in Detroit, for instance, uh, we have m- much of the same problem with yeah. with uh, not infrastructure in terms of broadband, but access. Uh, yeah. And and I I I think there's a real opportunity to talk about some of these things uh, again in a in a broader context and and to say, look, th- this is something that's affecting everybody. Maybe the effects themselves are different. But we are all sort of called to, to, to think about things a little differently after all of this is over in terms of how we deal with things like Internet, how we deal with things like infrastructure. I do, too. I mean, like I said, sometimes opportunities come in, in strange packages and um, there's a lot of parallels between some of my rural communities and some of the struggles that our urban communities have. And to me, I mean, maybe it's because I, I happen to be a Democrat representing a majority Republican seat. I think a lot can happen if people actually at the grassroots level meet each other um, and they sort of drown out the politics. They put that aside and they just talk as people. Um, I've seen that do amazing things. And I've seen people understand that they have much more in common with people than they have in terms of differences. But you got to have people from the communities talking directly to each other. And you can't let the polarization of politics speak for anyone in these communities. Mm. My guest is Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. She's a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th District in suburban Detroit and uh, southeast Michigan. Uh, We're talking about the federal response to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. We were talking about this idea of shielding businesses from lawsuits when they begin to open up again. Republicans in Congress say that's one of the conditions that they may have for further stimulus dollars. Do you think that's a good idea? Is that the right way to get back to uh, life here in America? If you're a business owner or an employee, give us a call and let us know how this would affect you. Is this something that you're thinking about? How we deal with getting back to the world, getting back to work, and this virus still being as virulent as it is. Also give us a call and 
let us know what you think of the federal response to the crisis. Do you think there is a need for more stimulus? Are you comfortable with the idea of us borrowing up to $3 trillion as a way of dealing with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic? Is that money that you're comfortable for your kids or your grandkids to have to be repaying? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and uh, put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. We especially want to hear from folks who are really nervous about the idea of going back to work uh, or if you're still working now and in, in a condition that you think you're at real risk uh, to, get, to get sick. What do you think of this idea of businesses being responsible for your health. Again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Congresswoman, I, I want to talk about a bill that you introduced this week that would require a federal strategy on testing and streamline the production and distribution of critical supplies under the Defense Production Act. Uh, tell us tell us a little more about that. Yeah, well, it fits into a series of bills that I've really focused on because of the coronavirus and the experience of, you know, kind of walking into the Star Wars bar and trying to get personal protective equipment from anyone who had connections, you know, with factories in China. Mm. Um, it was so insane to me to be like negotiating with middlemen um, who said they can get you 500,000 masks um, and trying to get those through customs, trying to get them delivered on time. And, and that process was determining whether my nurses at, uh, you know, Sparrow Hospital had the right masks to keep them safe. That just blew my mind. And it particularly blew my mind because I'm a national security professional and our supply chain on things like military equipment is made in America. I mean, we would never want to be dependent on another country to make our tanks and our planes and our body armor. So there's buy American requirements on military equipment. But there's no such requirements on medical supplies, frankly, on pharmaceuticals. And this experience really drove home for me. There are some supply chains that are different than others and have national security value. And we need to impose buy American requirements on those supply chains. So I've done a series of bills. Um, they're all trying to get at the same concept. Um, uh, and um, the latest one is, you know, we've got folks on both the House and Senate side who are pushing it. Um, and it requires the president to ask to act under the Defense Production Act to mobilize a federal response on testing and medical supplies. We have to have a federal plan. Um, right now, we're re recreating the same Wild West Star Wars bar situation on testing as we had on masks and gloves. Um, and it just doesn't have to be this way. And it shouldn't be for any future pandemic that comes our way. Hmm. Uh, the testing questions that we still have, the limitations that we're still working with, it, it, it seems to me that addressing those is really key to this idea of reopening, this idea of going back to the world that we uh, sort of expect to be, to be living in. I feel like we're still really far behind, that we're not, we're not at the point where we have the testing capacity and and uh, investment that that we need to in order to to be doing those things. Yeah, and listen, we did a call yesterday. The Michigan delegation did a call with uh, the senior leaders at Ford, and everyone's focused on how we get back to work and how we do it safely. So just think about it. I mean, I think for your listeners, it's worth thinking about how many people are going to need a test. 
you we open up a plant and, you know, in theory, everyone's temperature should be taken as they come in or certainly um, they should not be sick um, or appearing sick when they walk in the doors. If they are appearing sick or they present with a fever, then any company worth its salt is going to say, sorry, go get a COVID test. Um, and if you can prove that you don't have it and when you get better, you can come back to work. If they go and try and get a prescription from their doctor, which is what you need right now, and they've got to go get their COVID test, um, you can see how if everyone has just one employee who needs that test, it's going to completely overwhelm the testing capacity we have in the state. I mean, we're already at capacity. So, and what do you do if you can't get a test? You sit home for 14 days. You go back to social distancing. Who's paying for you to be home for those 14 days, right? Those companies are certainly not interested. They don't want to have to pay uh, sick leave or compensation for 14 days when they could just get a test um, and tell if you had it or not and have you back to work in two days. Um, so you can see the complications this is going to present. And then, of course, people want to know for themselves, if, if we get a cold now, any of us, if I got a cold today, of course, I would start to wonder, do I have COVID? Should I get tested? You know, what do, what do I do? Um, so it's we have to have just a huge supply of testing in order to make getting back to work truly function. Um, and we don't see that level right now. And that's a real problem. And then you got to have contact tracing, right? Yes. If I showed up and and I potentially, you know, if I if I've proven to have COVID and I potentially infected 15 other people who were in my same workspace, someone's got to let those folks know we got to track that stuff. So you can see how this can get really difficult really quickly without a testing infrastructure. Uh, I want to get to some of the callers here. Let's go to Jim in Southfield. Jim, welcome to the show. Well, yes, good morning, Stephen. Hey. You know, I think the, uh, <coughs> pardon me, briefly, when we return to normal, it'll be a new normal, but that's a conversation for another day. Today, I would just say, in the back of my mind, let's not forget that we had a huge economy shutdown in World War II, rationing food, couldn't buy automobiles, et cetera, et cetera. After that, we had a 24-year boom like this country's never seen. 2008 recession, horrible, horrible. But we've just finished 10 years of recovery growth like we haven't seen since who knows when. So let's keep in the back of our mind, while this is bad, uh, we're, we will recover from it, even if some people get hurt we will recover from this economically. Mm. Uh, Jim, that's a great that's a great reminder of how history uh, has sort of played out with things like this. I really appreciate uh, the call, though, and and the thought. Uh, before I get to Congresswoman Slack, and I want to take one more call and have you respond to both Sharon in Detroit. Uh, go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Um, I'm a lawyer here in Detroit, and I practice in a number of different courts here, 36th District, Wayne County Circuit, and I have to say that um, I'm extremely nervous about going back and just doing my job, showing up and being in those spaces where you have such large crowds of people, you know, people, everyone is jammed up together in yeah. the elevators. There's no way to have social distancing in the elevators, and there's no way to really have social distancing in the court themselves and what do we do i mean without testing and without being able to know um yeah. it's really really it, it it's it's scary to me and and i may not get a lot of sympathy for that but but sharon I, I i absolutely have the same apprehensions about things 
that you think of that we used to do that now seem like they would make no sense. Uh, the court system, the way that we operate courts here in the city of Detroit is a really great example. Everyone is really packed in in, in those places. Uh, Congresswoman, before I before I, we break and I let you go, I want you to respond to both Jim and Sharon. Do, you know, do you think we will have uh, you know an economic rally after all of this is over? And then how do we how do we make sure that people are safe in workplaces that just are not set up for the kind of distancing that uh, we've been doing for the last month? Yeah, well, I think thank you to Jim for giving us something hopeful to think about, and I do think we will rebound. It's just a matter of when and at what cost. You know, I, I think um, we will as a country and his and sort of through the lens of history, look back on this and say, OK, it was a dark time, but we got through it. But that is cold comfort for the small business owner who's desperately trying to keep their business open during these few months so that they can come back and hopefully try and be part of that recovery. So um, uh, but we will get through it. I think our economy will look different. And that's the point that Sharon's making is that we will and have to look different as a country and as a culture um, when we've gotten through this. I mean, our consciousness around public health is just changing just like after 9-11, our consciousness around threat and risk and, you know, um, changed. And we allowed TSA to make all kinds of different rules that we abided by because we understood that things were different. I think it's going to be the same way. And I know that our big companies, certainly the big three, are thinking about reorganizing the shop floor, thinking about those common spaces. And for places like courts, I, I think it would be prudent to think about you know, kind of uh, an on, on again, off again schedule. So there's not as many people in the physical building. We're going to have to put restrictions on how many people can be in a place like an elevator, in a place like a, a courtroom. Um, we're going to have to bring in more technology. We're, we're going to have to be creative um, because we need our society to function. We just need to do it in a safe and responsible way. And it's totally reasonable that Sharon would feel nervous about that. That is absolutely the right response um, because we're this is new for, for us. And um, so what I personally recommend is we need as much upward pressure as we can muster to ask our employers to be thinking through that and being transparent with their employees on how it's going to work. Um, and that includes the government, right? The federal government. I'm doing the same thing in, in my office. We've got a very tight I'm a freshman, so I got a, a relatively small office um, in the in the lottery, and we're packed in there like sardines, and that's just not acceptable. I'm just already working on a schedule where people are only in once or twice a week. They're right. teleworking the rest of the time, so they're the right things to be thinking about. But Sharon should be prodding and poking her chain of command, you know, her op her seniors, to tell her what the plan is, and it's their responsibility to be working hard to adjust. Mm. Okay, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat from Michigan's 8th District. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for coming by. Likewise. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, up next, we are going to talk about the lack of sports in our lives right now. You remember sports, right? And what it would look like if leagues decided to resume competition soon. It will not be like it was before. Bill Shea of The Athletic will join us next, and we want to hear from you. What are you doing to fill the sports void in your life right now? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.